Support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for season two of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Krikorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. We talk a lot about the creator economy here on Decoder. That's the booming business of individuals using social platforms to build audiences and then finding ways to monetize those audiences, mostly through subscriptions or more often advertising. There's a lot of players in that game. We've talked to creators about how they make money. We've talked to CEOs and chief marketing officers about how they're spending their ad dollars. And we've talked to a lot of executives from social platforms and how they see all of this growing. And one thing I've learned from all of those conversations is that the creator economy is a market, just like any other, with supply and demand. But that market is absolutely starved of information. It's hard for anyone to really know how much anything is worth. But it is particularly hard for the creators themselves, who don't have structured ways to measure and compare the rates they're being offered from various big ad agencies and companies that want to work with them. Big creators have started to figure this out, but people just getting started have no way of knowing. So today I'm talking to Lindsay Lee Lugren, the co-founder and CEO of a new platform called Fuck You Pay Me, which is an all-time great company name. FYPM is an app for creators to review and compare brand deals, what brands are paying, what it's like to work with them, and whether people would work with them again. It's kind of like a Glassdoor or Yelp for influencers. Lindsay's an interesting founder. She has a master's in finance. She was an equity analyst at an investment firm, but she was also a freelance model and influencer herself. And she's used that network and experience to build FYPM's user base. The company is still just two people, Lindsay and her co-founder, Isha Mera, but they just secured their first pre-seed venture funding, and they're looking to hire and grow. So in addition to talking about the creator economy, Lindsay and I talked about growing her startup and how she's planning to scale. After all, right now, she's reviewing all of the user signups herself. This one's really good. Markets run on information. So here's Lindsay Lee Lugren, CEO and co-founder of Fuck You Pay Me. Here we go. Lindsay Lee Lugren, you are the CEO and co-founder of an app called Fuck You Pay Me, which is a delightful name. Welcome to Decoder. Thank you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) What is Fuck You Pay Me? Fuck You Pay Me is, we call it a glass door for influencers. But what that really means is right now it's a website where if a brand reaches out to you about a sponsored post 
on any social media platform. You can look them up on our website and see how much they paid other creators for similar types of sponsored posts. So the entire creator economy kind of runs on this branded content advertising integration that happens. There's a background economy to it, right? You're an influencer on an app like Instagram or TikTok or something. I've got a product I want to sell. I reach out to you. I say, hey, will you feature my product? There's some negotiation that happens, and you're trying to create transparency around the rates for that integration. So the purpose of this is to kind of create or expose the rate card for influencer marketing. Really, the purpose is to help creators evaluate the opportunity cost of partnering with a particular brand. Because you can always partner with a different brand. Another better option is always to invest in your own personal brand. So it's just helping them answer the question, is this, you know, $400 they're offering me for this one Instagram post actually worth my time? Are they going to take forever to pay me? Is it going to be a good experience? Are they going to make me redo it? a hundred times before it happens, because that is absolutely something that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. So is it worth your time? Is like a really good frame? And then are they going to pay me is another good frame. So tell me about the name Fuck You Pay Me. Well, I didn't want there to be any misunderstanding of exactly who this was for. Like there's a lot of websites out there who connect brands and influencers. And it's like you go to the website and you see influencers log in here, brands log in here. And you kind of, they're all named kind of the same super techie type thing. And we all kind of know at the end of the day who those platforms are for. So I named it Fuck You Pay Me because it would be absolutely clear <laughs> that this was <laughs> for creators. <laughs> That's great. You have been a creator yourself. Give, give me a sense of how you ended up founding the app and you know, you've got a co-founder now. Tell us about her. Yeah. So I've had this idea for about a decade. I actually created the first PowerPoint for it three years ago when I was in grad school. It's really funny. It was very crypto based, um, <laughs> smart contracts. Cause it was more focused on the freelancer side. I started off as a freelance model and it's the same problem. It's, you feel like you're looking into a black box when considering taking on a new client or taking a job and wait, hold on. When you say, sorry, you said model, you were a model. That's what you mean. Not the model for the company was freelance. It, you were a freelance model. Yes, I was. a free Okay. Just making clear. <laughs> yes. Um, so actually in 2015, I won the hashtag cast me mark Instagram contest where I was one of 11 people chosen out of over 750,000 people who applied on Instagram to be the face of Mark by Mark Jacobs. And I was on billboards all over the world. I was in magazines. I was on shopping bags. It was crazy. And I only got paid a thousand dollars. And are you serious? Yes. Yes. And to this date, uh, that was my highest paid gig ever. And on paper, I look super successful. I was sold as wall art in urban outfitters. I was in Italian Vogue. Uh, I did New York Fashion Week. Uh, I was in New York Magazine. I get like the list kind of goes on and on and on. But the fundamental principle is it's really hard to get paid. It's really hard to decide if this is the opportunity you should take. And back in the day, the fear was always, or I guess not the fear. It was like, oh, this could, this giant brand could make or break 
my career as a freelance ex. And I say freelance ex because all of my photographer friends, makeup artists, they all, all creative freelancers have the same, same problem. We talk about this all the time. There's a back channel of freelancers in the creative community who are talking about rates, who are talking about what it's like to work with various companies and agencies. And your thinking is, I'm going to use crypto to make it better. That was the old thing. That's great. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're trying to figure out where exactly crypto comes into our current model. I do think there is a spot for it. But right now, most of our users or customers need cash. So this is like an ongoing discussion I'm having with my co-founder. There's absolutely a place for it, especially with like Ethereum smart contracts, all that type of stuff. But we don't want the value to be like view based, you know, because a lot of the things that go into brand deals, which is what we're focused on now, you get higher rates for usage rights, terms, whitelisting, stuff like that. There's there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just about audience size. So your first MVP, I was just doing some reading before you came on the show. Your first version of this, you just built using a bunch of like consumer SaaS products like Airtable. How did that go? And then how did you end up with a, a co-founder? Basically, how FYPM started is I've had this idea for forever. At the beginning of the pandemic, I lost my job in marketing and I lost all my money my relationship in my house within the six months after I lost my job. And I moved back in with my parents and I decided, screw it, I'm going to build this website. I've always wanted to exist because it probably could have prevented this from happening in the first place. I started off by sending it to all of my friends who who are also bloggers and creators and asking, hey, would you sign up for this website? And 99% of the response was like, yes, absolutely. Finally, I've been waiting for this to exist. And yeah, that's kind of how it started. So I hacked together the first version using Typeform and Airtable. The Typeform survey actually took about 40 minutes to fill out, which is crazy. And <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. And I used my marketing skills to build out the brand page. And through that, we got natural user growth, natural press. And I hacked my way into an actual hacker fellowship for engineers, where I was the only (laughs) non-engineer they let in. And that's where I met my co-founder, Ishimera. She's fucking amazing. She (laughs) used to work at Facebook as a data scientist, but she quit because she wanted to do something more to help people to use data for good. Basically, she quit um, around the time the election was happening, And she built software to help people request mail-in ballots for the 2020 election. And she raised money for it. She hired 40 people. She's like the OG. So together in Taiwan, because this fellowship was also in Taiwan, um, we redid the whole website. And how it works now is similar to how it works before. You sign up. You tell us who you are. So we can make sure you are who you say you are and verify your review. And you have to leave a review. So the rule is you have to contribute to be a part of the community. And then after that, we approve you and you can see what everyone else has to say about different brands. When you say we, it's it's just you and your co-founder? Yes, yes. Right now, it's just me and my co-founder. So you, how many approvals do you do a day? Um, right now, with minimal marketing... We get about 40 people a day who try to sign up. 
and it varies how many we approve. Um, a lot of like, actually, this next year is about streamlining our onboarding process and creating a platform that's very sticky and that can scale. Right now, it's still me manually checking out everyone who tries to sign up and manually uploading every review. <laughs> it seems like a lot. Yep. How long does it take you to, to review one person? Uh, what do you mean? I'm assuming, I don't know, most people end the, end the day, they're like, I'm going to watch trash TV. I have a picture in my head where you're like, well, time to look at approvals. You've got a stack of 40. How long does that take you? Well, most of them haven't filled out all the parts right now, so it doesn't take <laughs> me very long. <laughs> well, it's just like this is, you know, it's like the interesting part of being a founder, right? Like you're doing all the jobs down to making sure people filled out the form correctly to, to sign up for the platform. Mm-hmm. Is that you're doing that alone and you want to make that time shorter? Is that you think you're going to add people to like how do, you're going to, I don't know do some AI thing? Like, how do you expect that to, to scale? Well, this is what we're working on right now. Step one is finding good people who can help us scale. We're going to build out our engineering team and our product. Each and I have a lot of conversations about, is this a product problem or a marketing problem? And my view is I really think that marketing isn't an add-on. It's something you design and build in within your product from the ground up. So how I'm thinking about this next year is I really want to hire a content assistant to help us repurpose content and keep up the audience while we focus on product. First way to scale, like a big reason this whole thing works is that it's anonymous internally and our users trust us because they know going into it that only other people within the same community are allowed inside. So we are trying to come up with a system that allows some sort of like, like connect your social accounts for instant limited access that gives them kind of a tease of the preview. And then they have to leave a review before they're allowed to see everything. So thinking about like just putting together what I've learned through approving people and disapproving people, there's lots of little things that fake people do and things that legit people do and just building that into the tech in a safe way, I guess. I asked about scale because it leads me into the exciting news that I want to talk about. You just raised your first pre-seed round of funding. Yes. Tell us about that. Yes, we did. We just raised $1.35 million and we're super excited about it. We can hire people and build out our product. You can't see Lindsay. She's grinning. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you You're so much. You're obviously very excited about it. Yes. Um, so, you, you, you know, you've got $1.35 million. Can you say who it's from? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll try again. But so you, you've got your first little bit of pre-seed money. What are you going to spend it on? What's the first set of priorities for that cash? Product is the number one thing we're focused on this next year. And to me, that means building out our eng team, which includes a full stack software engineer, a UX UI designer, and a content director who can help us repurpose our existing viral content, not only onto Instagram, but other platforms 
and keep our community growing and talking to each other while we figure out how to bring that community onto our platform. And I firmly believe that the best type of products out there, marketing is absolutely integrated with products. So we have a lot of discussions about the right type of people to build this out and how to integrate the two functions. I learned a lot through my experience in equity research, talking to CEOs and picking stocks and especially within the consumer space on how viewing different parts of the organization separately kind of creates conflict and not synergies, you know? So I'm taking kind of a an integrated approach to hiring and product as a whole. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the really interesting things about that is you're still looking at the social platforms is where user acquisition comes from. Mm-hmm. You're a service for creators. We kind of have the same challenges as creators. Mm-hmm. We want to be diversified on, on platforms. It, it, I just want to understand that a little bit. What, why do you think your user acquisition still happens on the platforms themselves? The platforms, they change every quarter. No two brand deals are the same. We really centered our product around brand deals because a lot of these deals occur across multiple platforms. That's something I think our competitors are doing wrong is they're focusing on average price per Instagram post or average price per TikTok video. And that doesn't capture all of the nuances within these brand deals. It doesn't capture like your relative value of celebrity. And we want to create something that incorporates all those nuances into it. Cause that's how, that's how creators think, you know, when you're approached by a brand, a brand wants you for a reason that if they wanted an Instagram post, they could just take out an ad. If they wanted um, a TikTok video, they could take out an ad, but there's a reason why they're picking you over the ads on the platform. So really this is about integrating all those nuances and making it make sense to our users. So right now our website is just a basic review site and it's closed because our community knows that all, like all these other nuances that can go in there. So just real quick. So people have an understanding, tell me if I'm an influencer, how does a brand deal work start to finish? It really depends. If you are like me and you're a niche micro influencer, typically the brand will email you or DM you on whatever social platform you're on and say, Hey, we love your work. We'd love to collab and keep the ball in your court. And you can either accept immediately if you're excited to get the deal, or you can say my rates are X, Y, and Z for X, Y, and Z. And then they either say yes, they negotiate, or they say, no, we just wanted to pay for product. If you have a manager, you divert them to your manager or they go like you can go through a PR company or you can go through one of these third party platforms that connects brands to influencers. There's there's literally no rules. And that's a big reason why we centered it around the brand, because we want to like we're collecting data on like going through which platform or which method gets you the best deal so far. Managers, people who have managers always have the best outcome for themselves because they know how to 
talk numbers, how to talk marketing speak, and how to like increase your rates. One of my friends who's an influencer getting a manager, Mm -hmm. he literally didn't have a manager. He just asked his brother to start replying to his emails and saying, I'll do it for slightly more money. Mm -hmm. And he like doubled his revenue for the year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like he was like, it's just, it felt rude for me to do it. So I just had my brother do it. (laughs) And it was just like, yes, but I don't know, like 20% more. I'll do it for 20% more. Mm -hmm. And because it's, it felt professional, the rates went up. Like uh, there's like just an aspect of not wanting to be the bad person yourself Mm -hmm. and having, and just offloading that to someone else and making that a little more sterile and less personal that I think works really well. So that's like, there's no rules there, but really for you, if you're a, a smaller influencer, the brands reach out to you. There's a flip side to it, right? Where you start pitching yourself. When does that start happening for people? When you start pitching yourself? Yeah, when when if you're one of the biggest influencers on the platform, right? Now you've got an army of agents and publicists and managers and they they go out looking for deals from the biggest companies. Mm-hmm. Does that only happen for the biggest folks or do the mid-tier influencers get those opportunities as well? Well, define biggest folks first. Are you talking about audience size? Well, that's a good, I don't know. You're the expert. You tell me, I'm thinking of like the most famous influencers in the game. The, the D'Amelio's have a show on Hulu, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- those folks, it seems like they're, they're not waiting for the deals to come to them anymore, right? They've got an army of people who are proactively seeking ways to exploit their reach. Is that reserved for like that category or is there like a number of followers or reach or influence you can have? Because that the flip for me personally would be, I wouldn't want to build a channel where I'm constantly dependent on other people coming to me with money, but I've built a product that I can proactively go and sell and like create stability. Yeah. Brand deals are inherently unstable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A lot of the times these are one-off gigs. So that plays into it. I I think once you get to the type of scale you're referring to, your choices are drastically different. You can be a lot pickier with brands. And a lot of the times you shouldn't do a brand deal. But then again, everything's personal. Also, right now we have a lot of um, people, like a lot of brand deals, at least from like our manager portal, because we created this, the first version I created, I just had myself in mind. I like manage and negotiate my own brand deals, but now we have a manager portal. So managers can sign up, sign the influencers up they work with and also leave reviews and search reviews and all that. But we have a lot of people who are traditional celebrities who've waited a long time, like a like a 50-year-old Food Network star, his manager signed up and he only has like 15,000 followers on Instagram, but he's like a huge celebrity. Like his situation is obviously completely different than someone who's starting from the ground up as a normal person, I guess, who has 15,000 followers, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, it did. It does. It's a hard question to like, these are all the questions we're trying to answer. It's just, there's so much data and they're, they're in so many different places. There's, so there's not really like a point because everyone is so different. And that's why we're focusing on helping people build the context around someone else's experience. Eventually in the future, I think it'd be cool to allow people to reveal more information about themselves on the platform to their community and maybe build in some sort of influence within the platform. That would be cool. Yeah. But we're being very careful about how we approach that because 
it's just very early. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of, the reason I kind of ask is it the creator marketplace, this whole kind of social platform brand deal economy, it's really early and no one knows how it works. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people out there who are very eager to tell you they know how it works. It, that, it still seems inherently unstable to me and pretty risky mm -hmm. because there's no rules for how – I, I couldn't tell you how much anything should cost. Exactly. And that's, that's why we don't – we're never going to tell anyone how much they should charge because you can't do that at scale. Everyone is different. You can't accurately capture that in a way that is for the benefit of the creator, you know, like – People just want information to make better decisions about themselves or their clients. Because absolutely, once you get to a certain scale, like what you're talking about um, at the macro influencer level, it is better for you to outsource that and have someone managing deals for you. One of the things we always talk about with the platforms um, is how their content policies affect what gets made. Mm -hmm. So. YouTube, I think, is most famous for this, where they're like, we don't want any more pranks. And then all those YouTubers had to become like family vloggers. Mm -hmm. And then YouTube was like, this is getting creepy. And they turned that down. And then everyone, do you see that same kind of influence from the money side where brands want different kinds of integrations, different kinds of things that shape what gets made? Absolutely. And for the most part, those types of Deals are the ones that get the negative reviews. Actually, <laughs> on that on that note, like only eleven percent of our reviews are negative. Fifty two percent are positive. The rest are neutral. Um, but creative freedom is absolutely something that leads to a positive review. You know, because it at the end of the day it goes back to if you're a brand and you want someone to create content for you in a specific way, you should just hire a pure content creator, not someone who's also trying to build their own personal brand in this space. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more from Lindsay Lee Lugan. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try. Explore. Connect, pivot, transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash innovate. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, 
Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. So I'm a micro-influencer on, on TikTok, <laughs> which is my destiny, I have to be honest. Define micro-influencer. I don't know. It just, that's just a word I want to use. But I, <laughs> So I'm like a, like a mid-size influencer on, on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's going to come up to me. Uh, Shell Oil is going to roll up to me and say, Really? <laughs> Why not? And I'm going to go onto Fuck You Pay Me, and I'm going to look up Shell Oil. <laughs> um, and I'm going to see a bunch of reviews that are like, they underpay, they pay late, they want more than what you could get if you just did a campaign with Banana Republic or whatever, some more traditional influencer marketing agency. And I would say, no, this isn't worth my time. Is that kind of the flow you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, a, a big reason people come to our website is to just, because it's the only thing out there that exists where they can check, they can be like, everyone's curious, you know, because you don't mm-hmm. know. You're like, oh, they offered me a thousand bucks. To me, that's a lot. To, but to the brand who makes $400 million a year, that's negligible. And they just want to know if they've gotten screwed. But how people use it in the future, our existing users, they, they get approached by a brand. They're, they're considering taking on a job. So they go onto our website and they just want to see other people's experience. And you can you can filter by platform, by the brand industry, uh, the country. That makes a big difference. Also, the niche of the influencer. Like, we found that meme pages and pet influencers tend to really undersell themselves, which is interesting and also might make sense considering there's not a human likeness attached to it. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, One of the things that you mentioned that I kind of want to dig on is you said it sometimes it's better to just invest in yourself and your own content. And it occurs to me, I mean, you have been a creator yourself. We talked to a bunch of creators on the show that, you know, you only have so many hours in a day and you have to invest those hours in a day towards whatever you think is going to get you the most value. And some of that time is just spent, I don't know, billing and invoicing and trying to collect. Mm -hmm. But some of it is spent making ads, content for other people. Some of it is spent making content for yourself. What's the balance? Like how much does it have to be worth for you to take a deal versus invest your own growth on your page organically? Because that seems like the central tension here. Exactly. It, it's a personal decision. Everyone is different. Every brand deal is different. And that's what our platform does. It helps people put into context other people's experiences with brands and see how relevant it is to you and your personal situation, which changes over time and changes with how you evolve. So you said you were an Excel whiz before. I in- imagine, I can envision an Excel spreadsheet that's like, here's my rate per hour here's the value in follower growth or subscriber growth or whatever. If I make great organic content and as you know, various numbers about my social accounts change and grow, 
like you can write an Excel formula that spits out a dollar amount no. for what a brand deal is. You, you can't do it that way? No. That's just like how my brain works. Yeah, yeah. No, that's how a lot of people in business and tech brains work. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's thunderously dunked on on my own show. No, no, no. Sorry. I know. I mean, it's, it's fine. Like that. And that's why, like, I think that's, that's not necessarily how like a creator brain works. That's why we will never try to tell anybody how much they should charge. That's, there are a lot of platforms out there that do that. That is not our business. That is not why people come here. People come here for information. You know, people come here to hear other people's experiences within their community and they come here to evaluate, you know, or get more context behind, is this worth my time? So also this next year, it's not just about streamlining onboarding. It's about helping our users put into context what these other people's reviews mean. We want to build out the brand pages. A lot of that involves putting into plain English what their finances mean. If they're a public company, if their brand is part of a larger parent company, how much money they make? Are they a startup? Have they gotten funding? Like, what are they prioritizing? You know, blah, blah, blah. How relevant is their brand to your personal brand? Because if you're going to accept an ambassadorship, which is a commitment to um, a particular brand for a long period of time, how much does that benefit you versus them? You know, it's an art and a science and everything else out there captures the more the science part, you know, and we capture the, the art part, I guess. Yeah. That's really interesting. And, and that's because of your focus on just the creators, right? Yeah. You're not trying to build some two-sided marketplace where you're finding deals for, for both sides. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right now we're focused on providing value to our users and then how to monetize will come later. Through the Instagram page, it's like a constant feedback loop. They tell us every day what they like, what they don't like, what they want, what they'd be willing to pay for. Being connected to brands is not something on the top of their list. So we just raised a pre-seed round and we are hyper-focused on delivering value to our users. And I think the clear monetization plan will come later. I have a couple of ideas but um, right now, co being connected to brands is not something they're asking for. Yeah, the brands will find you on social media. That, that much <laughs> seems clear. Mm -hmm. They're good at that. Mm -hmm. When you were out raising uh, this pre-seed round, were investors focused on monetization? Or was that build the product, make it good, get users, and we'll figure it out later? The ones we accepted money from was build a product, make it good, and <laughs> figure it out later. <laughs> Give me a hint. What you said, you had some ideas. What, what what's the shape of those ideas to monetize? Yeah, so we have a couple of ideas. One is the most obvious idea is charge our users a subscription or a tiered subscription to access the data. I personally don't want to do that. I would like to keep access open for the people who need it the most and explore more the research side in aggregate, of course. Everybody wants to know about the creator economy right now. Like figuring out the TAM of this industry was a huge challenge I faced and a huge challenge everyone knows. And a lot of these brand deals like... Wait, just to be... T TAM is total addressable market. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
you have been talking to investors only. I'm just making making sure we. Oh, I know we're talking about. yes, yeah. Sorry, total addressable market. It's the market size, and it's a difficult question to answer because most of these brand deals occur under the table, and they occur under the table for a reason. And we are really the only place that is capturing the broad scope of like where these deals are happening. So, what what do you think the total addressable market is? That's a good question. I. <laughs> that's a really good question. That's a, that's actually exactly what we're trying to figure out right now. And we are super early stage. Honestly, I think I think it's in the trillions. Yeah, if I had to give the, a number, that's what I would say. It's huge. That is the question we're trying to answer, honestly. <laughs> and you think that's the total creator economy, the amount of money flowing into creators and through platforms in some way? Not through platforms, through brand deals. Through brand deals. The reason I ask is we had Doug DeMuro on the show. He's a very popular auto YouTuber. I was like, how do you make money? And I was expecting the long list of creator economy revenue sources, Mm -hmm. brand deals, merch, the whole thing. And he was like, no, I just use YouTube preferred. Right. And the platform takes a cut and provides mid-roll advertising on his videos. And that's, that's his whole money. I think Instagram would like to become a shopping mall mm-hmm. and just like take a cut of every thing that you buy on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I don't think they, I don't, it's not that I think it's that I know that as I watch Instagram evolve, it is becoming a shopping app in a very direct way. Mm-hmm. That is the other side of it, right? The platforms want to broker the deals. They want to connect the brands, to the influencers, they want to run the ads. They want to eventually become the commerce destination where do you see the the kind of deals that you are focused on playing in that larger ecosystem? Does it become a larger part of that whole ecosystem? Do the platforms threaten the smaller brand deals? Uh, how, how do you see that shaping out over time? Well, you can't control what people do. You can only try to convince them that it's their own idea. So if for both parties, there's a better outcome to occur outside of a third-party platform, that's what's gonna happen. I think that there is a place for platforms to capture brand deals. I think that occurs more at the macro level, not the micro level. And I think with what we're building, convincing micro-influencers to just do the platform will be a hard sell, I guess. Um, I think there's a combo of both because there's also different types of marketing too. Like what you're describing is essentially like affiliate sales. Um, and that's not, that doesn't capture the entire scope of brand deals. You know, like in a long-term partnership, you're attaching your face to a name. And that includes a lot more terms than just how much it translates into sales. Yeah. So that's like in in the sort of classic marketing funnel, you're talking about brand advertising, Mm -hmm. not direct conversion to sales, which is like Google ads or whatever. Mm -hmm. You think the influencers are going to stay away at the top at sort of the brand level, not at the click to buy level? If you're a niche micro influencer, a lot of the times these affiliate deals aren't going to be the source, like the biggest source of your income because because of the cap on your audience size. So it would be 
better for you to invest in your personal brand and building your audience than taking on that partnership. Because that takes a lot of time and that takes away time from you creating content for yourself. So I'm just reading your stats right now. You've got 1,500 creators on your platform with more than 2,000 reviews of 1,300 brands. That's a pretty healthy data set. What have you learned from like who, what platforms pay the most money to creators? Well, right now it's Instagram, but that might be very much a function of all of our marketing is done organic on Instagram. Probably 80% of our reviews are for Instagram collabs. Um, It's also a function of Instagram is kind of a legacy model for brand deals. It started there and in my opinion, brands go where the eyeballs go. You were actually profiled the New York Times by our friend Taylor Lorenz. Every time I've talked to Taylor, she's said, look, YouTube is still the gold standard for, for influencers. They all want successful YouTube channels. That's where the most money is. Compare YouTube to Instagram. Are you, you said Instagram, I think it's pretty funny to think that we're at a point where we can describe Instagram as a legacy platform. But I, I think that's true, right? That's the most built out. It's the hardest to crack into at this point, compare it to, to YouTube and, and TikTok. How are you seeing that the brand shift their spend and how are you seeing the influencers react to it? Yeah, well, again, most of our users come from Instagram. So most of our brand deals are from Instagram. When I listen to a lot of tech people talk about the rise of TikTok, um, a lot of them are focused on short form video, They're like, this is what people want, blah, blah, blah. And what I see is creators, they go to TikTok because they know that they can build their audiences really, really fast. And then they tell their giant TikTok audiences to follow them on Instagram because that's where they can get their brand deals. So it's kind of like this cross-platform play. You know, it's like, like, where do you grow? Because brand deals are always to some aspect dependent on your audience size and where are the deals happening? What categories are the are the most lucrative? Like, I always imagine that it's like tech and fashion, mm-hmm. but I, I actually have no idea. That's just my guess. Well, tech in terms of brand deals is one of the most lucrative. Honestly, there's a strong correlation between industries. There's a strong correlation between the more men there are in an industry, typically they get paid more. <laughs> what we see. Really? Yes, yeah. Um, but again, this is an incomplete data set. It, you know, it's very much a function of most of our brand deals come from Instagram, from micro influencers who don't know uh, even to ask to charge money or to charge more for things like. Usage rights, exclusivity, whitelisting, stuff that traditional media people adjust the price for. It's 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 a learning thing. Um, but yeah. And then also a lot of tech influencers. This is another thing. I'm going to go off on a tangent. A lot of business and tech influencers, typically they are business and tech influencers because they have another job. They're a CEO or they're a VC or something crazy. And they don't necessarily need the money. So they charge a premium to put their name on the line with this brand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not worth it for them because they've got a day job or whatever. Exactly, exactly. And you said if more men are in an industry, typically they get paid more. Can you talk about that a little bit? I'll clarify that. Every inequity you can imagine that happens in the traditional business world is absolutely amplified in this world because of the lack of transparency. It's crazy. So do you see that? You mentioned it with gender. Do you see it with race as well? Yes. Race, gender, sexual orientation. We want to collect disability, but there's there's some term we're not sure with. Like you have to be a healthcare company to collect that data or something. We're still trying to sort that out. But yeah, the trends so far, there's no roles. There's no transparency. Um, the platforms are inherently, they have bias baked into their platforms. And, you know, a lot of these brand deals are based on audience size. And if the platform is going to dock you for not being a normal white heterosexual male, it, it filters all the way down. Exactly. Yeah. And we are absolutely collecting all that data and we're not going to hide it from our creators. That's fascinating. I'm very eager to see the results of that as you grow um, and how you use that information, because I think that would be a big help for everybody. When we come back, we're going to talk to Lindsay about reviewing user signups and what happens when a brand tries to sneak onto her site. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions? And the power of do-overs. The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast or find it wherever you listen. We're back with Lindsay Lee Lugren. So when people sign up for Fuck You, Pay Me, Still, I, I, I love the name. When people sign up for Fuck You, Pay Me, do they have to tell you, hey, I'm an influencer on Instagram. Hey, this is my TikTok page. Do you go vet that they, they have the audience size that they're claiming they do? Yes, absolutely. That's that's a lot of what I do. That's like nobody gets through unless like we check. Is there a threshold? If, I, if I've just started, can I, can I show up and, and sign up for your platform or do I need to have had a brand, do I need to have a successful page with brand deals? You need to be able to contribute. So you have to have a brand to review. And do you have any like 
content moderation guidelines? Can I swear at companies? Do I, can I anonymize who they are? Like, how does that work? Yeah. Once you're approved, you can say whatever the hell you want. And that's just because this is for creators. Um, but I, I'm still like at this stage, I, it's still me manually uploading every single review. So in the future, we want to give people special permissions. If they're like a super trusted user, they can just go for it and it'll be uploaded and then help create something that allows members of the community to report specific reviews if they seem fishy um, and whatever. But like new creators right now, they can't get in. And that's something we're hyper focused on improving our process for. So do you know who everybody is? I mean, you're, you're checking their handles. Mm -hmm. So if I'm posting a review and some brand Nordstrom is mad at me, can they come yell at you and have that person removed? I mean, this is like the Yelp problem. Can Nordstrom come yell at me? I don't know. It's like some brand, if they find out they've been reviewed negatively on, on your site, can they come and find out who the person leaving the negative reviews are? I mean, Nordstrom can't sign up. Okay. So it would have to be someone within the community who's already been approved, who's secretly working for Nordstrom. Uh, <laughs> and we know who checks out every brand page. We would get quickly get a list, and then it probably wouldn't be that difficult to figure out who that person was and kick them out. So in the unlikely event that that occurred, I guess that could happen. But... That's why we keep it a closed community because there's less incentive to uh, skew positive in your review or skew negative. I mean, what's the point of lying to your own community about your about their experience? Yeah, I just want to push on the anonymity thing. So you sign up, you personally check out the person who's signing up, you vet that they have a real handle, and then when they start leaving reviews, you have the ability to find out who that that's cross-linked back to your approval, right? So you know it's a real person. Yeah. This is like the, I asked because what's really interesting is that you're building a social platform to keep brand deals and social platforms in check. Have you thought about the range of social platform issues that we're all really familiar with now? Like, yep, people are going to, people are going to lie to you. Has anybody lied to you and tried to get in that, that shouldn't have yet? Yeah. Tons of people. And we don't let them in. Give me an example. Tell me a story. We have a lot of brands who try to get in by reviewing their own brand. (laughs) And it'll be like so-and-so at brand.com. And then the review will be like, for brand. And it'll be super nice. And are especially like like crediting some social media manager. They're like, this person is so... And that's... We don't let them in because... As soon as we start doing that, people don't trust what's on our website. You know, you kind of have to pick a side. And we pick the side of creators. This is for them. Um, We are exploring ways to work with other third parties who connect brands and creators. But we, we must remain independent in order for this to work in the long term. Yeah. Has anybody, like, that you've let in just left fraudulent reviews. I'm specifically like I'm, the comparison I'm making is to a platform like Yelp, mm-hmm. right? Which just has a known set of problems that they've had to solve for years. Mm-hmm. Like, have you thought about how you will solve those problems or pick up their best practices? And like one of their problems is yeah, maybe it's not 
the restaurant or the brand leaving themselves a positive review. It's some rival leaving a negative review, which yeah. is much harder to spot. Yeah. This is why also we like we really right now it's a review site, but we really view this as a full on information tool. We keep the community closed to control for these types of issues, but also fundamentally we're different than Yelp or Glassdoor because we're not attracting people here with the promise of jobs. We're not going to make money by allowing brands to control or manage their reputation amongst the people they hire. That's not our business. Our business is providing information to this future workforce that is integral to consumer, like the entire consumer industry. Um, and that's who we're committed to. Do you think that you'll see rates rise over time? Like one of the things about pay transparency in general is that when you're more transparent about rates for different kinds of work, you see the rates go up over time. People have a better negotiating position. Have you seen that happen in any small way? Absolutely. We have tons of feedback. People, you know, say like a lot of the times people don't even know to ask for money. They're just excited to like, especially the smaller influencers with smaller audience. They, they just want to know, Hey, I can ask for a thousand dollars and it's not a big deal. So uh, we had one, one user tell us that this has been a lifeline through the pandemic. He's a single dad. He blogs about being a single dad. And this has totally changed everything with like, and it's not just like, oh, a brand has reached out to me. They like people, people pitch brands. They, they help each other. Like we ask for advice. Some of the data we collect on these brand reviews, we collect how was your experience? What were the deliverables? What are your aggregate stats? And then internally, it's everybody has a follower bracket, but it's also any advice you have for anyone considering working with this brand. And it's people really want to help each other. They want to help each other get jobs. They want to help each other make more money. It seems like once you have attracted enough people and you scale the way you were hoping to scale, eventually you're going to have this huge set of data and insights. And there's just going to be an enormous amount of interest from brands who want to see it or have access to it. it. It seems like one business could be charging brands a bunch of money for various insights or premium versions of this product. On their own brand? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I keep on coming up with brands to talk to you about and they're always just like the worst choices. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, if I ran Emirates Airlines, and I want to be like, what? I, I was like, I just want to know what people are saying about me. Mm-hmm. Like, they got a lot of money. They could just like pay you a bunch of money and you could ship them off a PDF report of what people are saying on Emirates. Like, is that a thing that you would consider? No, I wouldn't join or be honest with a website at, like as a creator if I knew that this could potentially get back to the people I worked with because... Everybody talks. I think in aggregate on a broader industry scale, that sort of thing is safe, but not at an individual level. To me, that's scary. And I, it's it's a, like, I've spent years building my reputation and personal brand within this community. And that's a big reason why people join. They trust that their data is in good hands. This is also a reason why we are exploring strategic partnerships with businesses who do 
work with brands and influencers in trying to come up with a safe way to let like like help brands better their influencer marketing networks. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like if you're not going to charge the brands, you might inevitably have to charge the creators. Yeah, but this is about the future of work too. Um, in two years, something like 60% of the U.S. workforce will be freelance. And freelancers are small businesses. They will need business tools to make better business decisions. And then beyond that, um, you know, when you think about creators and who the types of, like, the types of creators who are big now, nearly all of them have in common they were able to withstand long periods of time with spotty income or no income to build their brand and their audience. And the people who aren't able to do that really rely on brand deals through this middle, like middle time of growth um, to supplement their income. So that's, that's really who we're for. And a lot of the things that go into that are, are things that just tie people to traditional employment, like health insurance, uh, wealth management, tax services. All that stuff is fair game for monetization in the future. You know, if we can help people leave their traditional jobs and make better decisions about what they, how they should be spending their time as a creator, I, I think the opportunities are endless. And then also, if we capture a gathering place where the most influential people in the world within niche are there, like it's their gathering place, I think that is extremely valuable. Um, we're just waiting for our users to tell us what they want. As you think about growing and scaling and getting to that size, we see with social networks across the board, at some point, the scale overwhelms their ability to moderate or control the community. Mm -hmm. Are you, have you planned for, I'm going to have to start hiring moderators. I'm going to have to start, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg has to say things like we're not the arbiters of truth. And then everyone yells at him and says, they should, like, <laughs> have you thought it, like, do you have like a content moderation policy that everybody has to agree to? Have you thought about how you would enforce it? Yeah. We, that's, um, I think I touched on earlier. We really want to give members of members of our community that permission. You know, we want the community to be able to moderate themselves. If someone is on our platform, obviously acting a fool, they can report that person and figure it out. And then at some point they will have permission to take stuff down. So we don't have, like, we're still pre-seed and still trying to gather the, all the data, you know, but we, we do talk about that a lot. Um, how to do that. But we, we want it to be different. It's, it's like we're not an advertising-based model. We don't let everybody in. So it's like thinking about moderating what goes on within is completely different. Um, does that make sense? It does. I'm just curious. Like that is, it's the challenge for every sort of community-based platform. We're eventually get so big that, well, you just, so there are some cranks along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to have some policy to either minimize their importance or get rid of them entirely. And that it, it doesn't seem like you have a big enough community to need to worry about it yet. I'm just curious if you have a, a thought in mind for when you will have to start building that capability or hiring those kinds of moderation professionals. Yeah. Um, 
Again, this next year is about creating a product that's sticky and can scale. And I think we'll have the answer to your question in probably six to eight months. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. In many ways, it's like a champagne early. problem, huh? Like in many ways, it's like kind of a great problem to have. Mm-hmm. Right? You kind of want to have a problem where you have so many people you have to moderate them, but then it's a very challenging problem. Yeah, and this is why we kick so many people out right now. I mean, we've only let in 2,500 people as of today, and we have over 4,000 on our wait list. It's because I don't, I don't like, I mean, we don't, we don't know what to do with them because they haven't followed the rules. So maybe one day we can create some sort of safe, limited access that has all these features. But until we figure out exactly what you're asking, that's not going to happen, you know? You have been a creator. You have lived that life. It is challenging. We see a lot of kids who want to be YouTubers and Instagram and TikTok stars. I don't think they know that they're signing up to be one-person entrepreneurs, <laughs> like CEOs of a small business, right, with all the attendant. And every creator I talk to mentions this. But you've done, you've done that work. You are now a startup CEO. You've been hustling for money and investors. You're trying to grow you have to come on shows like this and answer annoying questions from me. Which one's harder? Which which which, which is harder? Is it is it startup CEO or is it influencer? Oh, they're both hard. Because this is what all the kids want to be. All the kids want to grow up to be CEOs. They all want to do startups, or they all want to be YouTubers. And like I'm like I'm always like, well, it's you're both is both. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the same thing. They, they require a lot of the same skills. But now that you've had both experiences or you're in the middle of both experiences, which one do you think is more challenging? They're both challenging. Also, on that note, a lot of my, I think I'm untraditional as a CEO because I am the full-time content marketing team right now, too. So I, they're, they're both challenging. Uh, <laughs> it's And a lot of the challenges come from People always want to separate different parts of the organiz- of the organization. Like we have product who does X, we have marketing who does Y, we have business and strategic partnerships who do Z or whatever. But a lot of these, they all overlap. It's kind of like like the human brain, you know. You do like if I don't know if you do a lot of reading on how the mind works in psychology, but a lot of people compare, try to compare the brain to organizations, but I try to compare the organization to the brain, I guess, you know, because there's a lot of overlap. I don't think I'm answering the question. I'm going off on a tangent. They're both hard. They're both very hard. (laughs) I cannot pick one. I cannot pick one. Which one do you think has challenged? I mean, you have, you know, you've got a graduate degree in finance. You have been a model, like which one do you think, do you think this one is using all of that skill set and all that experience? Or do you think if you stuck it out and tried to be the the full-time influencer, you could have brought those skills to bear over there? I think maybe the, the CEO role is more challenging because I have to keep doing the influencer job and I have to bring in more people and I have to consider more people other than myself in literally everything the I do and the brand does. You know, it's not just my decision anymore. It's my partner. It's a group thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
All right, what's next for Fuck You, Pay Me? Um, hiring, building a product that can scale, um, collecting user feedback, and figuring out how exactly to monetize in a way that provides value to our users. And then we raise our Series A. <laughs> there we go. All right, yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on Decoder. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks again to Lindsay Lee Lugren for taking the time to talk today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like it, we'd love a five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton D. Simone, Alexander Charles Adams, and Andrew Marino. We are edited by Callie Wright. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you next time.